What's up, everyone? I'm Peter Medlin, and welcome back to Teacher's Lounge, where we tell the stories of education through in-depth interviews with local educators brought to us by you. That's right, by you, the listener. And you can nominate educators you think should be on the show and make topic suggestions of things we should be covering by emailing the show at teacherslounge at niu.edu. This week, we have a really special one. I know they say that all the time, but I'm, I'm serious. I've been really excited about this one for a while. It's my conversation with Dick Hart. He's an 89-year-old retired choral teacher at Downers Grove North High School. He also played trombone in the Army Band when he served during the Korean War. And he stops just before he got to it with his rubber stamp, and he says, you play trombone? (laughs) He had it on his records. I said, yeah. He says, how would you like to be in a band? (laughs) Now, talk about God interfering. That was an absolute miracle. As you could probably guess, Dick has an incredible story, and it was such a privilege to get to talk to him about his life in music and in teaching. I promise you are going to want to stick around for that. But first, let's get to the show. So every year around this time, Illinois sends out an updated version of their Illinois report card. You know, it gives you a load of different information about school districts and individual schools, like what their enrollment is, what sorts of advanced classes they offer, average teacher salary, everything like that. And every school also gets a performance grade. The scale goes from lowest performing all the way to exemplary schools. Well, last year, the STEAM Academy at Haskell Elementary in Rockford was a lowest performing school. That means they scored in the bottom 5% of the state. Well, fast forward one year, and they've leaped up two levels to a commendable rating. I got to go over to Haskell and talk to them about how exactly they pulled that off in one year. And if you don't know what STEAM stands for, don't worry, we'll cover that too. And what that program's impact has been on the students there. All right, let's get into it. During a recent visit to Haskell Elementary School in Rockford, the kids were making catapults. They were doing it in their Maker Space Lab, which is one of the central hubs of their STEAM Academy. It's in a new modular building housed right next to their 60-year-old school. And on weeks they don't get to work in the Maker Space Lab, students get to try their hand at Lego education. More than half of Rockford Public Schools were rated either lowest performing or underperforming this year. But math and English language arts scores were up. Haskell is a STEAM academy, and you might be thinking, what does that stand for? Well, let's ask one of the kids. Science, technology, engineering, arts, arts, and mathematics. This is their third year with the program. It was scary for me. That's Lori Leathers. She's been the principal at Haskell for over two decades. A few years ago, they met with administrators from the district. Their work just wasn't coming through in test scores. So it was time for a change. We kind of had to be vulnerable and go out on a limb too and be like, well, let's try it. So we didn't really know what we didn't know. After weeks of meetings and visiting other schools, Haskell chose STEAM as its specialty. One of the things that drew us into STEAM were that children were engaged and... um, Not just compliant. Yeah. At the end there, that was Courtney Shermerhorn. She's an instructional coach at Haskell who assisted students and staff trying to get their footing in the new program. Haskell's a public elementary school, but it's a public choice school. There's no aptitude test to get in, but parents have to want their kids to go there. And Leathers attests that the transition to STEAM was not an easy sell, especially at first. We went through a little bit of a staff turnover, and I think it's because that first year was pretty stressful. It was all of us just trying to come up with ideas and best practices and try to like, hey, will you try this? And teachers are like, I can't. 
add one more thing. I can't fit it all in. I can't do all of this. That's around the time they were deemed lowest performing. It means their scores were in the bottom 5% of the state. It's based on a mix of math and language arts tests along with attendance numbers. But Leather said students slowly got more comfortable. The staff turnover slowed, they received a grant, and hired a STEAM specialist. And in the spirit of STEAM, Shermerhorn used data to figure out what to focus on. I think that's what's really moving the needle for us is because we look at data and we know what the majority of our kids need, but we also know what each individual child needs. STEAM emphasizes cross-collaboration between subjects. It's not uncommon to learn about what an instrument's made of and how that influences its sound during a normal music class. It's also very hands-on, earning the E for engineering in STEAM. Leathers says that's taught them how to fail properly. When you're in the like the unknown and not truly learn, like you're not going to learn something if you do it the first time and you get it correct. When you fail, then you start to learn. Now she believes students and parents want to be at Haskell for its staff and STEAM program. And as a choice school, it has students from across Rockford. That means some students have to catch the bus around 6 in the morning. And aside from test scores, attendance is a crucial piece of the report card grade. Rockford Public Schools' overall rates of chronic absenteeism and truancy have increased over the last few years. By contrast, Haskell's have fallen. Leathers said even with an upswing of interest in their school, the staff doesn't want a drastic shift in Haskell's demographics. We're not looking to pick a specialty to change who we service. Like, we love who comes to us. We choose to stay here on the west side of Rockford um, for a reason. For now, she's relieved to see the test scores are improving. But she's seen scores ebb and flow in the past, too. I'm not done here yet. So I keep, you know, people are like, oh, my gosh, you've been here forever. <laughs> and I have been here a really long time. Um, but I'm not done yet. But for now, she hopes STEAM can be a catalyst for their continued success. All right, now it is time for the news roundup. Just trying to catch you up on some news that might have slipped by within the last couple weeks. Last episode, if you remember, we talked a lot about the student-athlete paid endorsement plan going through the legislature during the veto session. Well, contrary to what Representative Maurice West predicted, it didn't pass. It actually didn't even go up for a vote. But lawmakers have said that they're planning to bring it back during the next session, which is in January. And now for a more local story, a welcoming resolution to undocumented students and families was introduced at last week's DeKalb School Board meeting. These types of resolutions have become more commonplace, even in Illinois, from cities and school districts who want to make a statement about immigration. But members of the DeKalb School Board strongly disagreed about whether it was necessary to talk about at all. The discussion got heated at times. We will respect each other. The resolution wouldn't result in any major policy shifts from the district. It doesn't change how student information is disclosed. But several members of the community and the school board insisted it's important to make sure people know the district's position. Board member Valerie Peña-Hernandez said she sees how the threat of immigration weighs on some students and impacts learning. I am a Hispanic woman sitting here right now, and I can tell you how much I work with ESL students. And there is a fear every single day that they are going to get picked up, that their families are going to get picked up. So hell yeah, this is necessary. Others on the board weren't sure why anything needed to be said, since the Federal Education Rights and Privacy Act, or FERPA, already protects student information, including immigration status. The resolution will go up for a vote at the next board meeting in December. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with Dick Hart. And of course I want you to stick around because this is an amazing conversation, but also stay till the end and you'll be able to hear Dick play a little bit of music. He doesn't play much very often, so this is a special occasion. Anyway, let's get into the conversation. 
And yeah, just let me know if I ever need to speak up or anything just like just that. Just remember, <clears throat> you're talking to somebody who's probably should have been dead about 10 years ago and <laughs> still hanging in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, I don't, where, where do you want me to start in my life here? <laughs> oh, you know, anywhere you want to. And we can, we can kind of just jump around. I can, I can ask you about, about a bunch of different well, things. But what are you thinking right now? now since you're from North Central, I'll, I'll tell you about that. Uh, I was in an army band in Berlin, 298th Army Band, for two and a half years. And I had been going to college in, at Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri, which you probably know, never heard of. Nope. Right? right? Have you ever heard of Winston Churchill? Of course Church, I have, yeah. <laughs> Churchill gave his Iron Curtain speech in our uh, gymnasium in 1946. And from there I thought, now what do I really want to do You know, with my life when I get out? I thought... The only thing I really like is music. What am I messing around for? Right. So I enrolled at North Central. By that time, I was married and had our first daughter. We lived with my folks in Downers, and I went to North Central for two and a half years to cram all my music courses into two and a half years. And then the principal superintendent from Hinkley, yes, Roy Schumacher at that time, came and said, before he said anything else, he says, Hart, he says, can you win contests? And I said, of course. I didn't have the slightest idea. What idea. else are you going to say, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, no. <laughs> and so he hired me. So my first three years were right here in Hinkley. Yeah. Well, hang on. Let, let's go back. Let's stay back a little bit. About, okay. So you're in Berlin and in, in, in the band there. Right. In the, in the Army? In the Army. In the yep. Army. How did you end up in the band there? <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, they sent me to Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri, and it, this was in 1951, and they were just reopening the whole camp. When we got there, there was no heat in the barracks. We woke up, and there was ice on the floor. <laughs> and I was in, trained then in the Ar a Corps of Army Engineers, and I was out building bridges. And that was, sometimes it was 10 below zero, and before I left there, it was 95 degrees. It was just Terrible place to be. But I really didn't want to be blowing up people with bombs and things, so they had a band at Fort Leonard Wood. I thought, here, I'll go audition for this band. I won't have to go blow up people. So I did. And even though I had not played the trombone the whole time I was at Westminster, I passed the audition. And I said, okay, now what? He says, well, he says, you passed the audition, but we don't have any openings. <laughs> so good for you, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I said, well, then why did you have me do this? Well, that's the army way. Okay, so that's how come. That's how I did not end up in the band. Okay, so now <laughs> it comes time to be done with basic training. Every other company was alternating between Europe and Korea. Mm -hmm. and they just somewhere back along the line. That's what they did. And my company went to Europe instead of Korea. Otherwise, I would have been killed for sure because I never learned a darn thing in basic. You know, all this shooting and stuff. Forget it. While we were still waiting to go from the States over to Germany, we were stationed at Fort Dix in New Jersey. And I got to see Willie Mays play in his first year as a giant. No kidding. And got free tickets and, and good seating to see the Rockettes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then we went on the boat to the General Patch. And I was down in the, in the hold peeling potatoes, clunk, 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 with the motor. And I hear an announcement. Anybody with any talent that would like to be in a show, report to, boom, man, I was out of there. 
Nothing flat. Dropping those potatoes Drop and getting out of there. Drop those potatoes and get on that show. And so I did. Now, wasn't that a kick? <laughs> okay, so now, now we get to Bremerhaven, which is way up in the North Sea. Then they decided where they were going to go. De- deployment, okay? It's the right word. So it comes my time to be deployed. The guy says, uh, you have three choices. He says, you can stay in the Corps of Army Engineers. You can be in the MPs or the infantry. Take your pick. He says, well, okay, I, I'll stay with the Corps of Army Engineers. He says, okay. He picks up his thing with, with numbers on it, boom, yeah. you know. And he stops just before he it's, got to it with this rubber stamp. And he says, you play trombone? <laughs> he had it on his records. I said, yeah. He says, how would you like to be in a band? <laughs> now, talk about God interfering. Yes, the divine Holy intervention right God, before the stamp that, got that, pressed down. That was an absolute miracle. Now, guess where they sent us? They sent us to Dachau. Concentration camp. Concentration camp, Right. I thought, wow, what are we going to do in Dachau? They had turned that into a music, not a school, but a place for auditioning people and sending them where they want. Right. The best place in Germany to be is Berlin. In Berlin, they knew that if we left, the Russians would be there the next day. So we were treated like kings over there. Really, really nice. We had a dance band, too, and that a lot of fun. I met my I let, met my wife there too. That was that was just plain luck. God was looking at me, us again, and uh, we had a blind date and got married <laughs> after a year. When you were telling that story, all I think about too is that my grandfather was also in the army in the Korean War, and you know we're on a broad radio program now. He was doing the communications and broadcast and on the radio for the army then too. <laughs> Wild. So there's a lot of synchronicity going oh, on somehow. Was he in Korea? I forget if he if he was. He he passed away a few years ago. I can't recall exactly. I'd have to I'd have to ask my grandmother. I'd have to get her yeah, on the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get let's get these facts all let's straight. Let's get the facts because, straight. Yes. Yeah, you know he may have lucked out too and didn't have to go there, or he right. was probably behind the lines or whatever. I would imagine so, doing the radio yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> but still, now let's let's go let's go all the way back. From, from there, and I'm curious about just, you know, because I'm looking around your house, Dick, and most, a lot of the photos that I'm seeing of just your family and everything, everyone's got an instrument, everything is music related, yeah, okay. so well, basically I'm just wanting to know, yeah. you know, who is the, can you remember who maybe the first person was that ignited that Absolutely, absolutely. My brother was five years ahead of me in school. He ended up in the Second World War as a chaplain's assistant, playing the organ on a pump organ that he followed behind the lines. He was a really good piano player, and that's how he ended up teaching himself the organ so that he could be a chaplain's assistant instead of an infantryman or whatever. So you both were able to use music to escape <laughs> yeah, the bombs, right? Right. So, And my sister also played piano. My mother was an unbelievably talented player. And till the day she died, she could play anything that you, any music you put in front of her, she just sit down and whip it off. It didn't matter how hard she could play it. We'll get back to who started this. Clarence Shoemaker was his name. Now, here was the superintendent in Hinkley was Shoemaker, but this was Shoemaker. And he was the band director in Downers Grove. 
But he was just a terrific, terrific teacher. He was a very, very strict, never smile, absolute disciplinarian, you know. Scales for days. He, what, he demanded perfection, and he got it. I left there in 48 and came back as a teacher at North mm-hmm. in 59, no, in 56 when I graduated from North Central. And here all the same teachers that I had were still there, including Shoemaker. Yeah. <laughs> so where was my office? With Shoemaker <laughs> and the orchestra director. Was he just as strict then as well, he was? Well, this is the th- thing. He was like an entirely different person. He loved to tell jokes and laugh and have a good time. And I thought, holy cow, you know, I didn't recognize him. He was so different. He was such a good guy, and I got really, really close to him over the years. He it's... was definitely my mentor. Next question. So would you have always rather have taught, you taught high school? Yeah. Did you prefer that? Did you ever teach, you know, younger kids, that type of thing? What did you, okay. how did you feel uh, about teaching music? I'm glad you mentioned that, yeah. because in Hinkley, I taught kindergarten through 12 and Big Rock. 100 kids, okay, 80 of them were in the band, and 75 of them were in my chorus. Here again, I lucked out in that most little towns, in fact, I almost signed with some town I can't even remember, which I would have been band, orchestra, I mean, there would have been no orchestra, but, you know, you had the whole ball of wax. I ended up with just a choral job, which is what I wanted. I really, really lucked out on that, but... (laughs) Can you imagine? The whole school was in music. <laughs> but you said you wanted just the choral job. That was your yeah, ideal? Yeah. I didn't expect that. Going into a little town. You're like, I'm going to have to do everything, You, you right? don't start out at Downers North or Naperville or any other big school. You know, you start out who knows where, which I did. Well, after three years in Hinkley, I decided it was time to look for something. And then one day, we were visiting my folks in Downers and Crystals. My wife said, why don't you call up Mr. Johnson, the principal, and see if he knows of any openings. I said, I know Barbara Barnes is, is the choir director here. I said, they don't need anybody. She said, well, call him anyway. So I did. I said, uh, Mr. Johnson, this is Dick Hart. You remember me? Oh, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> so you called over there. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, I remember you. And I said, um, I'm looking for a choral job. Do you know any in the area? He says, yeah, we've got one. <laughs> I said, what? He said, Barbara Barnes has built up the choral program here where she had 500 students herself. She definitely needed help. So that's how I got that job. I became her assistant. And that was in uh, 59, and in 63, South High School was built, and Barbara lived on the south side, so she says, I'll go down south to the new school, and you stay here. You only live four blocks from the school, you'll be happy here. And so I then taught for 29 years at North. Choral there. Choral, oh yeah, acapella choir. I did uh, 22 Broadway musicals and operettas. What was your favorite one to do with the Broadway shows? The music band. The music band. Because, well, I just liked it the best. At that time, I thought, this is the show I want to do, which we did. And then I did The Music Man 10 years later when my son was in the choir. Yeah, The Music Man was a popular one in my family, too, because my, my, my brother played the trumpet. Okay. <laughs> and he was always super into that, so that was always on all the time when I was a kid and everything. Capital V that rhymes with T that stands for pool. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great high school musical. It is. I'm curious, for you, as you know, being a choral teacher for so long, what was something that you really enjoyed about it, some part of the job that you really liked that you think that maybe people wouldn't immediately think of when they think of a well, high school I can tell you teacher. what I thought, okay? Yeah. I thought I could never be a classroom teacher. 
is teaching the same thing year after year, day after day. We're going to study the Civil War now for the next month or whatever, whatever. My job was different every single day. So we were constantly going out singing for all kinds of local social groups and church groups and old people's homes and you name it. And so I had terrific variety. And of course, my music, after every concert, I had a whole whole new concert to plan, right? And again, and again, and again, for all those years. Now, what what's there not to like? <laughs> you start from scratch, and by the time it's concert time, it's supposed to sound good. And if it doesn't, you're, you're in trouble. But that's a kick, right? And then here's the story. One of the history, no, yeah, social studies, I forgot what it was, <laughs> said to me one day, he says, Hart, he says, you don't know how lucky you have it. I said, what do you mean? He says, every time you walk on stage, everybody stands up and claps. <laughs> he says, when I walk in the classroom, nobody stands up and claps. <laughs> That's right. You get the built-in you know, admiration. And that, made, you know, that made a big impression on me, you know. I took that for granted. That's what you're supposed to do in the music, you know. I've been to concerts where the director was lousy and the choirs were lousy, but they still got clapped. People still clapped. They didn't know the difference. There you go. Maybe <laughs> they should start doing that in history class, too, for the yeah. Civil War. Maybe they should start clapping for them, too. <laughs> now, I'm curious about just from, you know, you mentioned a bit about what your childhood, your mom playing music, all the way through the Army and then into teaching and beyond that when we get into a little bit with the community band, but I'm... How do you feel like your relationship to music has changed over the years? It has not. Not a bit. I am just as excited about music today as I was back then. I've got uh, several hundred CDs down there. I transferred all my LPs, about 300 LPs of classical and, and opera. Since, uh, you know, I'm a big opera buff, too. Well, I taught all the time I was teaching. I taught five lessons. I had five and a half hours of rehearsal every day. I had the, the uh, five full-time hours, and then the chamber choir gave up their lunch to be in chamber choir. So that was a half hour extra. I taught that every day. And then after school, I went home and taught five more lessons. And that's a heck of a lot, believe me. And then for, for the first few years, I had the church choirs too, Methodist church choir. So, I mean, it, that's all I did. It's uh, And it never burned you out. No. <clears throat> That's probably why my voice is so shot now. But I, I started losing. My singing voice is no good anymore. <laughs> you don't sing anymore? Or do you, I, do you still I, like to? It's just all gravelly now. It just stinks. You know, I had these sing-alongs with the uh, Indian Valley Community Band, and I could, I could do that. But the, even then, my voice was not what it was years ago. I sang for weddings and all kinds of stuff. Like what that. about the trombone? Do you still play? Trombone, I stopped playing after the winter concert, after I retired in spring of 2018. And I felt at, at the end of that concert that my lip was about 80% of what it should have been. Notes that I would never think of missing, I missed because the lip was weak. So I thought, I don't want to play at 80%. Right. That's the last time I played, except for a Christmas concert. I mean, Christmas parties with our family. We have a heart family band that we play every Christmas. So I did play. So Christmas. once a year, they let you break. Yeah, you can yeah, break it well, out. I warm up a little, get get my lip up again, and then yeah. one of these guys here, Bobby, is a trumpet player. Anthony up there is a trombone player, and then of course we have flute and. Uh, 
our, our granddaughter graduated from Millican as a choral major. Was it eight years that you were the director for the, the Indian Valley? Yes, Indian I'll Band? tell you how that happened. Tell too. me how that happened. Okay, when we got out here and opened the store, I found out about this band. I thought, wow, that's, that's nice. I'll see if they need a trombone player, which obviously they always need some instrument. doesn't matter what it is, and they... they that definitely needed a trombone player, so I started playing the trombone for whatever reason. I had taken the band twice already, so they knew I could do it. They said, well, would you do it now? And I said, well, I can do it for a year. You know, I'm 80 years old. I can do it for a year. <laughs> and eight years later. <laughs> so that's, what, that's how that happened. And plus, that means you get to go on stage and they get to clap for you, too. So that's another win. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. <laughs> and plus, you know, a lot of people that are like like me, I'm going to these concerts, and I they don't understand what the hand gestures and the movements even mean, so you could be doing anything. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a secret language that you've got going on, too. No, oh, my gosh. I always <clears throat> more or less felt like an imposter as a band director because I was, even though North Central had us take all the instruments. We had, I think, one semester to learn all the other instruments, maybe a year, I forgot. But certainly not to, to the level of really knowing how to direct a band. You had to get in there and do it. And I never did that. So I always felt, and I, I would tell the band, I said, you know, I'm, I'm just doing what I can do, and if you don't like it, just find, you can find somebody else. from Well, they never did. They liked me. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be doing something right then. No, my life has been a blessing, an absolute blessing to to stick in this musical stuff this long. And does it, I mean, we talked a little bit about this before already, but, you know, now that you've you've kind of retired from the trombone, except for the Christmas performances, obviously, (laughs) you're still able to to get all the fulfillment from music, from, from listening to it, from hearing other people play. Is there a part of you that really misses playing the trombone on a regular basis and singing yes, on a regular yes, basis? Yes, there is. If I was still playing up to my what I used to, how I used to play, Crystal and I would still be playing in the band. But when I quit, she had to quit too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it was part of me for a long, long time. So naturally, I miss it. But, I, but you got to do it for so, so long yeah, too, just right? just think of all those hundreds and hundreds of trombone lessons that I taught. So you mentioned all those, you know, all the lessons that you got to do at the store, but also, you know, through your career as a teacher, too. Yeah. I want to finish out with just a couple of questions, you know, and one of them is just, what do you feel like is the greatest lesson that you've learned about teaching? Ah, that's a good one. Patience is what you learn as a teacher, because things don't always go exactly the way you want it. But, but I always tried to keep a, a balance where they felt like they were having a good time despite me and still get all the music learned properly. And so you have to, it's a balance. So therefore you have to have patience. I learned patience, but I also learned what a blessing music can be to the kids. I forgot to mention this. Before the school split north and south, Barbara and I had 800 in the choir it filled up the whole side of the auditor- of the gym. We had a, the band and the orchestra were in the, in the gym at that time, and the choir filled up the entire side. Just think of a basketball team with the whole bleachers filled. Just 800. see it. And, and then when, this, when the school split, 
It just turned out Barbara ended up with 400 and I ended up with 400. Well, 400 times about 25 years, I figured I had close to 9,000 students. Now, can you believe that? No. That's a good-sized town. (laughs) It's just a blessing. It's all I can say. Yeah. And you kind of answered my next question, too, and we talked about how you said that you know, your relationship and the way that you feel about music hasn't really changed, but what do you feel like, and you said, you know, how music can be such a blessing to kids too. I mean, what's your, same thing where I just asked you what the greatest lesson you learned about teaching, what's the greatest lesson that you've learned about music in your life? I have a motto. It's called music is life. And I write it on all of my emails. I sign them all. Music is life. I have a a stone, a stone out in front of the new school, the new North High. So I put on mine, I got a double-sized brick, and it says, you know, Richard Hardcore director, blah, 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 blah. Music is life. It's, it's right here, for heaven's sakes. Music is life. And what does Music that mean to you? Music is life because I personally could not think of getting through a day without hearing some music. And a lot of people feel that way. They don't realize it, but they've got them on their phones and they've got it on their iPads and they've got it on their computers and whatever. They listen, whether it's rock or pop or you name it, they're hearing some music during the day. You agree? I agree. Do you listen to music during the day? Yes. See? Perfect example. <laughs> right. And it's, it is something that people use as background, too, or on their commute, and they... They take it for granted. Yeah, that's right. They do. In most cases, it's just a, like a background sound that they take for granted. But the serious musician will go and say, hey, man, I really like that because of the bass player or because of the drummer or what have you, you know. Right, but it adds, I mean, it adds color to everything too, right? It adds, hey, can I quote you on that? Please. It adds color to your life. <laughs> Peter's got the answer to the question. (laughs) (laughs) A good place to stop. Thanks so much for stopping by for another episode of Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. And along with that, send your suggestions for topics we should be covering to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And if you like the show, if you enjoy what you're hearing, well, wherever it is that you're listening to our show, why don't you subscribe and leave us a rating so that way more people, new people, can find the show. And that means new stories that will be suggested, new people like Dick Hart that we get to talk to, and, you know, share the podcast with people in your life who you think might like it. And special thanks, of course, to Dick Hart for letting me come into his home and talk to him and showing me all sorts of memorabilia and incredible old photographs from when he was in the Army. You can check out some of those photos in the post for this episode, too. Make sure you check that out. And thanks to the Rockford area band Kind Ofs for providing the awesome music you heard in the show. Kind Ofs is spelled K-I-N-D-O-V-E-S, like nice birds. And you can find more of their music on SoundCloud or their appearance on WNIJ's own sessions from Studio A. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we will be back with another episode of Teacher's Lounge very, very soon. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving with their family. And you know what? Just for this once, just this one episode, how about we let Dick Hart play us out right now on his Berliner phone? Ladies and gentlemen, Dick Hart. I bought it in Berlin, so I call it a Berliner phone, but it's not a Berliner phone. Thank <laughs> you.